Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. You just need to focus on one thing. If you can eliminate all of the other distractions that you have, so much can get done. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to work with an ad agency to launch a crowdfunding campaign, how to increase word-of-mouth marketing with your product packaging, and why you should include long copy with your video ad. Today, I'm joined by Dan Dembski from Unbound Moreno. Unbound Moreno is the ultimate travel hack, simple clothing with extraordinary performance. Travel anywhere in the world with nothing more than a backpack and was started in 2016 and based out of Toronto. Welcome, Dan. Hey, how are you? Good. So yeah, so when we first um, started talking over email, you mentioned to me that you've been an entrepreneur for over 10 years. You've built multiple business uh, north of seven figures and have crashed and burned countless times. So very excited to have you on to talk about your war stories. But let's start off there. Now, what, what, what kind of business have you started in the past and what was your experience with them? Well, I've been an entrepreneur for almost 10 years, just probably just under. And I, I've been in in these past 10 years in four businesses now. So my first, the first business that I founded was called biz media, which is still going today. It's a video production agency and we would work with large brands and do the video content strategy for their online video, as well as the production itself. And I was a partner in a business called D brand skins, which is vinyl skins for smartphones, laptops, uh, video game consoles. And I was bought out uh, over two years, almost three years ago from that. Still really, really close with the business and good friends with the founder. From there, I founded Hitsu Socks, which is a sock brand. Then all the socks were designed by street artists from different cities. And the experience from those three businesses led me to where I am today, which is Unbound Marino, which is my full-time focus now. And we've been going for since December of 2016. So I, that's about half a year now. Yeah, very cool. So we're very much in the early phases of your business, but already a successful business. We'll get into all that in, in a bit. Um, now that you have the experience of launching four businesses in, in under 10 years, what's your, how's your approach to launching a new business changed or evolved over, over time? It, it's amazing to think, what would be different if I were to know what I know today and to start back mm -hmm. right at the beginning? Because you make such colossal mistakes as you go, and they can seem so debilitating at the time. But I really don't know if it's possible to learn and grow and to have it in your nature as an entrepreneur to act a certain way if you didn't tinker and try something one way and, and mess it up or go in the wrong direction. I do spend, a, a, I mean, I, I wish I read more now, but I have spent a ton of time reading over the, the decade, a lot of business books, and I, I have mentors. I, I have a lot of entrepreneur friends I've made over the years, and you can learn from other people, but nothing will teach you like running into the wall and learning the hard way. And when you look back at all of the mistakes you make along the way, you actually look back at them with you know, it's such a positive feeling. The, what may have seemed like the worst thing ever at, at the time, mm -hmm. it's just made me understand the landscape a lot better. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question, but. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is that there is no better teacher than just jumping in and know that you're going to make mistakes and don't let that discourage you from getting started. I think of where a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck at is in this ideation phase, right, where they have all these ideas and it's just kind of stews around and they never pursue them. They jump from idea to idea. Obviously, you are... Or uh, you've you've executed right. You've you started uh, launched businesses uh, four times. What's your approach to getting out of the ideation phase into actually executing and launching a business? Have you always been able to make that jump, or do you have some kind of uh, I guess uh, advice to give on people that are stuck in the idea phase? Well, let me let me give an example. I someone 
I think it was just a couple of days ago, asked me for my business card. And I've, you know, we've been active for about six months, but obviously it took a little bit more time until we launched. So I haven't even thought of a business card until that person asked. It didn't even dawn on me that maybe I should have it because sometimes people get caught up in these like, oh, well, I need the branding and I need the, the business. Like there's nothing that matters other than putting a product or service out there so that someone out there will pay for it. That's it. Like create value that someone will pay for. And anything else that's gets in the way of you creating that opportunity. And it could be a terrible website, but getting a terrible website up that it, you know, I mean, this is a Shopify podcast. There's no better way to get started than to use Shopify. And I'm not just saying that because I'm grateful to be here, but truly it's a platform that makes it really easy. The first Shopify website we built for Hitsu Socks, I built with my business partner myself, and we have no web development experience. We're not designers, but the site looked great. So you can make a site. It doesn't even have to be that good, but that's step one. Like just make it, make a business, make, offer your services somehow, offer a product somehow, the faster you get there, that's when you start figuring out the mechanics. I I've never had a problem getting started. And I think that's maybe circumstance. I'm lucky in the sense that biz media, when we started, I was in school and we were in my mom's basement. And if you live with your folks and you, and your rent is covered. You don't have to pay rent. Like I didn't have to when I lived at, with my folks. I also got free food because I lived with my folks. There's no better landscape to start a business. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't planning on starting a business. We were doing video production for fun because we wanted to make our own videos. And we started taking some gigs that we find on Craigslist because we wanted to get a little extra money to buy an extra light for the camera or a microphone or whatever it might be. And it sort of just became a business because we were really into the work and word of mouth led us from, you know, one two hundred, $300 project to another $300 project to a 500 to a thousand dollar project to, we ended up doing work with GE, which we had to register a business because they don't, they weren't the kind of company that's going to slip cash into an envelope mm-hmm. and pay us that way. Like we're used to. That's why we created biz media. We went in court. We first did a general partnership, then an incorporation. All of that stuff came out of necessity. Like we need to be a business now. It wasn't like we registered a business and said, this is how we're going to go make money. We were making money doing freelance, turned into a business, and we grew that business very rapidly. And that maybe that's inherent in me, but I've never had that problem where uh, I I overthink. I, I just get started. And I think that's there's nothing to lose. You know, if people think your idea is silly or stupid, it's like, really, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're moving ahead. And that's how I've worked. And it's worked out well for me, at least that part of it's worked out pretty naturally well for me. Yeah, I think what you're getting at, too, is that there's a timing for everything. Maybe you didn't need business cards at first. Well, clearly you didn't until someone asked for it. And then you just, it sounds like your approach is to plan less and execute more by doing things of necessity rather than trying to think, you know, six months down the road when you haven't even launched your your store yet. Just do things that, that are necessary to get the product out there in front of the, the people that you need to get in front of so that you can collect the, the data, essentially whether it be quantitative or qualitative to validate whether it's a good product or that has a fit with the market or not. And then speaking of that, what is your approach, especially early on, if someone has an idea and they want to, they let's say they, they want to spend this weekend to launch their, their store, launch their site, and they want to get that product out in front, in front of as many people as possible. What's your approach these days to, to get the product out into the market as quickly as possible in terms of driving the traffic to your store? What's sorry, sorry, the, so you want to know what's my process for getting the website itself set up or the whole business? Like, I mean, because there's two parts of you. The first aspect is do you have a product that you're at your disposal that you can sell? Mm-hmm. Right. So, in our case, we had the idea, but we wanted to make sure that the product was great and we had to make the product first. So, that was a huge part of it. And that was just the only focus. We weren't planning a website. We weren't planning a crowdfunding campaign. We weren't really planning a brand at all. I, we were just focused on getting the product. And once we started getting samples and we knew we were getting close, 
we decided crowdfunding was going to be how we were going to launch the business. And we switched our focus entirely to that. And we set deadlines and try to teach, sorry, treat our own deadlines as seriously as possible. And it's just, you know, you know, I think a lot of times people get wrapped up in, in, in the whole vision. You know, you can think of a website and think, well, Maybe I can go and do three versions of the homepage and, and send this out. And then what about the brand? And what about like all of the little pieces? And they, they concern themselves with all of the pieces at once. And sometimes I think you, you just need to focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. If you can eliminate all of the other distractions that you have, so much can get done. You know, not right now, not worry about the name of the brand. I'm really just focused on sourcing the product and finding a great high quality manufacturer. And, you know, as, as and make it sound like that's just the way I've always operated. Sometimes I'm victim of the exact opposite of what I'm saying. I, I get distracted, I have too many priorities, but we make a really conscious effort to what matters now. What's the thing that needs to be really ironed out now? And we do as much of that as we can. And what's the next thing? And just mm-hmm. one after the other, after the other. But I think if you can go and, you have a product that you could sell or a service or whatever it is. If you could flip up a site, I think get it up as fast as possible rather than trying to, you know, shop around, get the right design. Because once you have it out there and it's live, nothing will burn and pain you more than seeing something that doesn't look right. Like I could go and have three versions of our website and, you know, get a dozen or a couple dozen people I know to look it over, give feedback and try to come up with the best way. Or I could launch it and then I have a fire under my ass that this thing's already on the web and I need to fix it if it's mm-hmm. not perfect. And I feel that about a lot of the things in our business right now, like this page is, is, is crummy. You know, this section's crummy. Uh, I don't like this part of our packaging anymore. People look at them, they say it's great, they don't see it. But for me, that because it, it's live, it's already out. I have that fire to fix things and get things moving. And, you know, if the website wasn't live, how long would it take me to get to that place where I'm happy? I probably right. will never be fully happy, to be honest. Right, that makes sense. So you you mentioned that for this uh, this product, for this uh, this store, this brand that you that you built, uh, a lot of the time in the early days was spent on making sure you had the perfect product or you had you had the best product to put out into the market. Even before focusing on on driving traffic or even getting a store up right away, uh, how did, did you spend? Did you have to spend time validating if this was a a, a product that that would be successful in the market? So here's what we did. So the story of the product itself, and I've I've wanted to launch a an e-commerce product-based business for many years now, and I became a partner in Dbrand, which is a very very successful. I mean, we, I I was in very early. It is it blew up while I was there with the company, and exponentially blew up after I was bought out. It, the guy, the founder of the business, is absolutely brilliant, and. I was learning about e-commerce from being on the inside of a a rapidly growing e-commerce business. I was lucky for that, but that wasn't my product. I came in to help and be a part of that growth. Wasn't my business. I started Hitsu Socks and it's, it was, it's, it's still going. It's, I'm I'm not active in the business anymore, but I'm still a partner in it. It, 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 it was, a really creative and fun exercise for me to learn how to start. But when Unbound came came around, it was the idea hit me like this product doesn't exist. Like there's stuff similar to it. There's stuff like it. I'm not saying we invented this textile. It's used in activewear and, and outdoors type of uh, apparel. It, it just doesn't look right. It's not normal. It looks like outdoors clothing. And a lot of it has like, you know, timber wolves on it and stuff like that. Some of it looks like if you wear it, you, you look like you just came from doing a marathon. We wanted stylish, simple, really high quality merino wool t-shirts that were plain, simple, and classic looking. And I had a really hard time finding it. So for me, I'm like, why, why doesn't, like, why, why, is, why doesn't this exist? Why can't I find the right looking merino wool clothing because this stuff is so good. And if I did find stuff that kind of looked right, it was made really cheaply or was blended with synthetics, which I didn't want. So it hit me that 
this is for me. So I knew what I needed to create. I knew what the bar I needed to achieve was as far as quality was. So when I was sourcing, I was making the product for me. Now, I've heard this before that a lot of times the great entrepreneurial story is someone just says, huh, why, why can't I, why can't I get this product or why does mm-hmm. this service not exist or this idea I haven't seen before? And it seems so obvious. And then they just go and do it. And oftentimes those stories can lead to great success because the person who created it was the core consumer. And that's who I am. I'm, I really made this for me originally. My partners totally aligned in that we live and breathe this stuff. So everything about getting the product to the, to the right point so that it's of the quality that it, that didn't exist in the market. We were the perfect people to understand that that this is the way it needs to be. And all of the marketing that wraps around that we understood. Uh, So I knew that I wanted it, but I didn't know if the market wanted it. So that's the second piece. Mm -hmm. And what we did in the way we validated it. And for two reasons, we chose this path is we did an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. The obvious first reason why we did that is because it's very expensive to go and manufacture mass quantities of stuff. It's even expensive to do to do prototyping. We fit, like between just winding up with dbrand, all the work I was doing with Biz Media and Hitsu Socks, I was spread so thin that this idea of having a new business was ludicrous. Mm-hmm. So the only way that I would figure we could do it and not sink a bunch of money into it and to validate the idea was to go the crowdfunding route. So that's the second part. So it's the obvious reason is it gives you get money though. We, it gave us, we raised $370,000 on our crowdfunding campaign. We had a very, very uh, well thought out budget, which included trips to our manufacturing facility North of Shanghai to inspect because we you know we had to make sure the qu- the quality of product is everything so that was our our main main number one focus and priority and continues to be our number one priority quality of product so we raised the money through crowdfunding that was our that was the money for the business to start it but the major piece the other piece was the validation if we were to create this crowdfunding campaign put our heart and soul into it make a great video great messaging, really pitched the product as to the best of our ability and nobody were to buy it, my thoughts would be, oh, well, it didn't work out. At least I got all of these samples because I got the shirts for myself now, which is what I really wanted. And, uh, and I didn't like sink. I didn't, you know, I didn't crash my life saving. I didn't sink tons of money into building a website and getting an inventory in. It was created on the interest of people who wanted the product. So the market validation was there. So once we had the validation that, Hey, we raised that money, we can get, we're off to the races. This could potentially be a real business. Cause at that point it wasn't even a real business. It's not a real business until you have a web store in our case on Shopify. And that web store is getting traffic and that traffic is converting and people are buying it because we just had a start. We had a great start, but can we get people to our website? That's when the business started. So that's when I made a choice to sell off shares of my other businesses, get completely out, laser focus entirely on this because I know this can work. I know we're making the best product in the market of this type. I know I'm the person who understands how to position this, how to market it, because I believe in it so much. So that was how, how we validated the idea. We, we, it, it couldn't be better. I would strongly recommend if, I mean, it might not be for everyone, but crowdfunding is just one of the most beautiful things. That's a start. The real business is on, on your own e-commerce website, but crowdfunding is just, a, a, mm-hmm. for me, I'm just the biggest fan ever. It, it, it changed my life. Yeah, this is this is certainly not something new where people launch on a crowdfunding platform to to validate a product. But you're probably one of the first ones that I've had on the podcast that chose to launch it on Indiegogo, right? You hear a lot of times from people that launch on Kickstarter, uh, the, the the you know the most popular, I guess, uh, crowdfunding platform for launching products. But you launched Indiegogo. What was the decision behind that? 
So we chose Indiegogo. A friend of mine had some connections there, and he said, if you go on Indiegogo, they'll cut a deal with you where if you raise 30% of your campaign total within the first, I think it was 48 hours, then they'll feature you in their newsletter, which is really, really good for traffic mm-hmm. to your campaign, and you'll get lots of orders. So what we did is, well, that was enough. And he said, trust me, just just go with it. So like, all right, well, what's the difference? People are going to come to our crowdfunding campaign. They're going to buy it on Kickstarter or Indiegogo if they want. I don't know why one, it, it, the idea is what's going to sell people, not the platform. Mm-hmm. So that deal was enough to say, all right, let's give it a go. And in hindsight, I, I, I don't think I could be happier because I think Indiegogo has that, you know, that we're in second place complex where they have to work a little harder. Mm-hmm. So the support that we got from Indiegogo was fantastic. Like they, we uh, I can get on the phone with them anytime they send resources. They were in Toronto and they even came to visit just to say what's up, just to make like, just to let you know, they, they got your back. What we did is we, we really needed about seven, I think it was $74,000. That was the budget that we needed to launch this business at a minimum. But we said we needed 30,000 just because it was easier to reach t- uh, 30% of 30,000 than it would be for 74. So if we were to only end up raising 30,000, we would have had to refund everyone's money because really we, or I would have had to kick in the extra $34,000. So Indiegogo gave us that setup and that newsletter was magic. Like we, the first, I remember what we did is we said, we're going to get the first 30%, 33%, which is $10,000 just from friends and family. So for weeks leading up to the campaign, I reached out to all of my friends, family members. I said, listen, and we're going to launch this campaign. I'm going to need your support. We're going to be selling these shirts. They're kind of expensive because the material is a lot different than normal cotton t-shirts. But if you can buy something from us, you're going to love the product and it's going to make such a difference. And everyone wants to help out a friend. But what we made sure not to do was have those $1, $5 thank you perks. Like our entry level perks was a t-shirt. So you're actually making a real purchase. So this, the smallest was 50 and it sort of went up from there. And we had enough friend and family support to get us to that 10,000 because I campaigned hard for that. Now, once we got that 10,000, we're in this newsletter and I remember seeing all the orders coming in. It's like Brian Dembski, that's my brother, and then my cousin, and then my best bud, and my business partner, and then this, and that just, it was all just everyone I knew. And then you hit the newsletter, and then you start seeing these names come in. A guy in Germany, and then France, and then the US, and then the other side of Canada. And it just, it just started rolling. Then it you're trending on Indiegogo, which is easier on Indiegogo because it's a smaller platform. So it, that was the, I, I wonder sometimes if I went on Kickstarter, would I not be in this business right now? I'm not saying I wouldn't, perhaps I'd have triple the campaign. I don't know, but I wouldn't change that for the world. Indiegogo is fantastic and I would highly recommend it. Got it. I mean, even though, of course, not everyone has the connections to uh, someone at Indiegogo. I think the 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 rules still applies to some degree. Where if you do, if your campaign does show promise, whether it be on Indiegogo or on Kickstarter, if your campaign has a lot of traction early on, it's typically in the crowdfunding platform's best interest to feature you because you're a promising product. A lot of people are interested in it. And of course, they want to feature brands and new products that people on their platform are interested in. Uh, so once you were able to gather, you know, friends and family to, to help support it. You got featured in a newsletter. Did you also do any kind of promotions or campaigning outside of the, the crowdfunding uh, platform to drive traffic to your crowdfunding page? Yeah, the only one that I mean, we tried a bunch of things. We did a we really did a push for getting newspapers to write, and that contributed a little bit. Um, I, I think it was good, but it really, I, it really didn't have a ton of traction. Um, the thing we did that was pretty great uh, was at, we we did hire a, one of those ad companies to help us push the, pro, the the campaign with their ads. So we used a company called Command Partners, and I think they changed their name recently, but they were great. And 
the good thing about them is that you pay them a setup fee and we paid them 500 bucks. And after that, the budgets we put into ad buying is up to us, but they use our ad dollars and they don't charge what they charge is a percentage of what they drive to the campaign. So if they, if they're the ad buying they did brought in zero sales, they would make zero dollars. Mm. So they're obviously incentivized to really make the ads work in the lists that they have, they try targeting various different lists based on different demographics, but they have their own list that they build up over time of people who back crowdfunding projects mm-hmm. from all of their campaigns. That's the money list. That's what you're paying them to get in. So when you factor in, and, and we were very careful to make sure that the cost of goods sold, along with the fees that would be associated with Indiegogo and their referral fee, it would still be profitable. So every every week through the campaign, when we got a report, we made sure that the ad spend would at minimum be break-even. It ended up being profitable at the end, not that profitable. But what made it so awesome is that you're driving so much traffic to your campaign through buying these ads that even though you're just kind of doing a slightly profitable, it's not like, it, you know, I think we made... Out of the $370,000, I think maybe thirty thirty-five thousand came from uh, from the, the advertising. But what it did do is it drove tons of traffic and awareness. And that traffic and awareness can bring people back later. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how many sales they don't get credited for. And they are fully aware of that. That's just the... That's just the nature of their business and they have to accept that. But also being trending on Indiegogo, that's really big. So if we didn't have if we weren't driving all that traffic, would we be trending as long? If we weren't trending as long, would we be driving in as many sales? So I that was a that was a another big piece that I would highly recommend. They were good, but you know, I I didn't shop around. I ended, just ended up on them and, and I was I was pretty satisfied. And this is like an ad agency that focuses specifically on promoting crowdfunding campaigns? Correct. Got it. When you work with, uh, I guess you only worked with this one. Uh, what, what's the what's your involvement? Like, how do they? What do they need from you? And what's the? To walk us through the process of working with an ad agency uh, to push a crowdfunding campaign. They wanted a certain commitment of ad spend, and we committed to ten thousand dollars, which was a lot more than we wanted to put in. Because when we were starting this, remember, this was we we were putting our all in to to make this work. We wanted this to become a, a business for real, but we were using the crowdfunding as a means of validating the idea. So we didn't want to pump in lots of money. We wanted to put in as little as possible. So they wanted 10. I think that they suggested 10 or our friend who helped connect us said you should do 10. I don't remember how the $10,000 number came, but right at the beginning, I said, I don't want to put this money in right away. Can we start out with something smaller? I think it was 2000 and we started with that and then we spent that after a week or so and then i kicked in another thousand and i slowly got to it and then we ex- ended up having a two-month campaign and indiegogo uh, uh, agreed to release some of the funds and i asked them this is an interesting thing that you can do and they did it for us and i think any campaign is in the midst of being successful i said to them i said can you release some of these funds now because this ad thing is really working for us and we want to spend more money on ads. So up to that point, they released all the funds we made. So this was this was a game changer for us because now we had this advertising money. I gave the rest of the money for to spend to fill our $10,000 in ads and we ended up spending a little more. But I also was able to put payments on, uh, deposit payments on the manufacturing of our product to get that going a little early. So that was huge for us. So that's how it works. So we ended up putting more than 10,000, I think. And then, uh, yeah, a little bit more than 10,000. And it was funded from our campaign, which was great. Well, mostly from. That, that's great that they were able to release some of the funds because now you have even uh, some more capital to to invest and then potentially grow the the, the campaign funds even more the, the crowdfunding yeah. campaign funds even more that that's that's a great point that I don't believe Kickstarter has those exceptions but I think you have to either wait until the entire thing ends or um, and if it doesn't successfully get funded then you don't get anything so that that's an important point that that um, 
anyone that's running a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo should consider doing because you can drastically improve your, uh, your, your, your crowdfunding goals by, by doing that. Right. And I felt, I felt with Indiegogo, they were always there to have that conversation. Like I bugged them so much. If I type Indiegogo into my email box, I mean, I can't, it's so <laughs> absurd how many emails I send them. I've called them so much. That's what's good about them. And they've really, I mean, clearly they, you hear, you've heard just a few stories, but they've really, really hooked us up. Nice. Now, when you were running this campaign, did you also have a, a store at that time or was that something you launched after the, the campaign? We just had a really crummy landing page that drove to our campaign. Got it. So how were you able to uh, transition the, the traffic and the attention, even the branding from the Indiegogo campaign? Because that, that's, that was probably the most popular, I guess, landing page for your brand at the time because there's getting a lot of attention, a lot of uh, press, but then you eventually want to drive them over to your, your, your Shopify site, your .com, your own website. What was that process? What was that transition like? In terms of getting the page set up itself? Not so much the page, but how did you, were you able to drive traffic from Indiegogo, the people that are landing on there, maybe through search engines or maybe just within Indiegogo itself over to your your uh, your Shopify store? Right, so once we had our campaign end, we were really focused on getting the product in and then concerning ourselves with fulfilling it and lightly were setting our store up in the background but we were trying. We didn't want to waste too much time, as I said to you before. I think it's pointless to just get it up there. But we really had to make sure that the inventory was coming in before we started taking money. And also, we didn't want to sell stuff that we didn't have in yet, because it, you know, I don't. I maybe we could have done a pre-order on the website. We just didn't think we were focused on getting the product in. So mm-hmm. once we were really close, we really put uh, getting the website up into overdrive, and I. I kid you not, I don't even remember the process of making the website because <laughs> it was so simple. We found a theme we like. We paid 100 bucks for the theme. And when we, we took all of the assets we created for Indiegogo and we took a bunch of big blank sheets of paper and I looked at the theme and I copied the structure of the boxes and I just looked at how can we take what we already have and fit them into this? Because I don't want to like do any custom coding. I just want to, we don't have, that's not what we're interested in right now. And it's also costly. So we built the site like it was nothing. When you say you took a blank piece of paper, you're, you're talking about designing this entire thing by printing out the elements of your Indiegogo campaign and placing them on like a physical sheet of paper. Right. That's how I always, that's how I created every website ever. I, it's just the only way my, my brain works is I can write some like idea for a copy on, on, on like a Google doc, but I'll take a sheet of paper and we put the boxes that looked like the boxes of the theme. So there's a big header. Then there's three little circular things that can pop up and a little arrow. And I'm, I'm like, this is the framework of the theme. So let's make our content fit in that rather than create our idea of a wicked website and then try to find a theme that fits and then try to custom mm-hmm. customize any of the elements. We copy because that's the easiest, that was the easiest, fastest way. So I took, we had this big long box for the header, for example, and we said, what do we want it to say? So it's it's a uh, simple clothing, extraordinary performance. That's a good line that we have. That might be our header. And we, we drew it, I drew it by hand and I can't draw, I draw really crude stick figures <laughs> and we made this website. Then we took those pieces and we had how we hired a freelance designer to help us, you know, can you take this, you know, this photo, this guy with his shirt, crop it out, put this right, this thing here. They made all the assets for us, plugged it in and we launched our, our website. We got it up. Then the next step from there was, okay, let's, let's promote the website. Let's get it out there. And you know, my, my two partners still in full-time work at the time, you know, we'd have, we'd have our meetings on Friday nights and then on Monday and Wednesday morning before work and after work till really late. And I remember we had one of our early morning sessions and our website was up in for a few days and we were just getting to the point where we're thinking, okay, well, we're going to do an email blast to launch and announce it. And what are we going to do a sale? Like, what are we going to do to make this launch great? 
And I went into the back end of Shopify and there were a bunch of orders and we're like, what the hell is going on? Like how are, who, who even knew this site existed? And all the, these like three, four days went by. We didn't even think to look that maybe orders were coming in we didn't get notifications on our phones. So we didn't even install the app yet. Holy, this the, the people are finding it. So that was, that was crazy exciting because we were already starting to ship. Uh, we had a, a small run that already went out. We were waiting for the bigger, the bigger shipment to come in and these orders just came in. So we realized the, the campaign itself was generating enough word of mouth that that was enough at least to get started and started thinking, Hey, maybe we have an actual business here. So we got it up. I, I'm, I kid you not, no launch, no nothing. Don't, it, it was so fast to make that I don't even remember actually making the site and that site was selling. And I really think that's the quality of the, the campaign before it and the product itself. Yeah, so you mentioned word of mouth as the, the way that people were discovering the site as soon as you launched it and you didn't even know these orders are coming in. Nowadays, now that you know, I guess, uh, now that you see the power of word of mouth, especially with this brand, with this product, have you found other ways to to encourage or to increase the word of mouth uh, for, for your, your brand and the products? We're always trying to find more ways to do it. But what we have done, and this works really this has been really awesome for us is we've done an email blast as well as we've posted on Facebook and Instagram a few times encouraging people because this is a pro- I mean, it, it's for anybody like you can use our product. Like it's a, you can use the product. I don't even think I just talked about what the product was. It's Merino wool t-shirts They're It's super comfortable, amazing feeling t-shirts that, they never smell. You can wear them every day. I, I've done tests months in a row wearing it every day. I kid you not, I've been wearing the same t-shirt right, that I'm wearing right now at least three <laughs> weeks without washing. And it nice. never smells. And people say, oh, that's gross. No, it's not. Think of the last time you've washed your jeans. Like I don't, I wash my jeans once in a while and I don't even know why I wash them. Like if I spilled mustard on them, I'll wash them. But sometimes yeah. I'm like, yeah, I feel like, wa- I feel it's time to wash this, but I'll warm them for like dozens of times. Merino wool is completely antibacterial and odor resistant. I wear it, I've worn it in the gym, I've worn it in the sauna and it, 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 it won't smell. It won't retain bacteria. It's just like putting on a, a shirt right out of the wash. So that's the product. Um, we, we really position it towards travelers. We want travelers. The, that was the reason I got into this in the first place is because when I went traveling, I didn't want to check luggage because our luggage sometimes got lost. Super frustrating. And it's, it's annoying. I hate luggage. I want to have a carry on. I I figured if I could bring less stuff with me, I can just have a little carry on. I don't care if I'm going away for a weekend or if I'm going away for three weeks, I now live with a, not like one of those big duffel bag backpacks that like is the size of your body. I have just a little normal size backpack. I've, taken that to Southeast Asia for three and a half weeks. That's all I needed because you only need to bring minimal stuff because the stuff you bring is antibacterial and odor resistant and you can wear it multiple times, even in the sweltering heat. So what we do is because we're positioned towards travelers, we did a thing where we said, if post a picture of you on the road, on your travels, on your adventures with unbound Merino and use the hashtag unbound Merino. And if you do, We'll give you a hundred dollar gift card if we repost your photo, your campaign. So some people they're trying, people are buying this for trips. are going to Machu Picchu or Hawaii. Uh, the, you know they're going all over the world and they have their phones with them. They're taking pictures. Now they'll post it. They'll put the hashtag and write a little something about Unbound Marino because hey, why not? Let's add the hashtag and maybe they'll get a hundred bucks. So we're getting all this travel photography of people using our product in the real world on that hashtag and we give them a hundred bucks and they love the product. They're trying to get more of it. So we're happy to, I mean, it's a small price to pay for real use cases of the product. So they share it with their friends. So that's really helped try to do more of that. And one thing that we're, we're going to do in our insert into our packaging we're working on now, we kind of do this in our little booklet that comes with, the package, but we're going to make a separate little card for it. But just, we're just literally going to write, Hey, thank you so much for 
supporting Unbound Marino. Uh, I, word of mouth completely drives our business. And if you love our product, would love if you'd share it on Facebook or just ask. And I got that from a buddy of mine, Gareth, who's the, the founder of a company called Rockwell Razors, which makes it a really cool like razor we can yeah he's been the on the party. podcast before great guy oh has he oh awesome yeah, yeah so i he, he puts that on the the little bill uh, the invoice slip that goes in his package and like he asks that's so simple what a simple way of encouraging like asking and people do people share the product because because they ask if they like the product they're going to share that's that kind of simple thing can make such a difference so i'm excited to do that but we're just constantly trying to find other ways to get people to to share more. The challenge that we have as a clothing brand, we we don't put our logo that's visible on anything. Mm-hmm. So when you see a picture of me and I'm wearing a black t-shirt, you're going to know if you know me that that's an Unbound Merino t-shirt. But people don't know me. Don't They just don't even see t-shirt. They don't, it doesn't process. Whereas right. if it's a brand like, uh, you know, the Yeezy shoes or um, – I don't know, like any, any brand that has a logo, mm-hmm. Chanel, Gucci, those are, they're so they're covered in logos. So we don't have that. We don't have that opportunity to have the product speak for itself just by being in a picture. We have to get people to talk about it and explicitly explain that's makes it a little more difficult for us. So we're constantly trying to encourage, incentivize, or just ask people to do it. Right, you need them to write in the caption or something. If they're posting it, you need your your customers themselves to talk about your brand because your logo is not on your product. Uh, now, that that first approach that you talked about about asking the your your uh, customers to to uh, post and hashtag a photo is that part of like your email follow ups? Like, when are you asking them for this? Uh, for asking them for for them to post a picture of themselves uh, with your with your gear. We did it in an email blast to all of our customers and backers once. And then once we started getting them in, as we drip them out, sometimes on Facebook, we'll post one, but we'll also add in and that call to action again. So you'll see a really cool picture of a guy. He's in Africa or at Machu Picchu. And mm-hmm. we, and we, we, we reiterate that, you know, Hey, you could, if you're traveling with an unbound post your picture and we also we'll, we'll try to remind and make that a thing. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you could, we can continue to drive that awareness because people, I mean, we get emails all the time of people, they put their order in and say, Hey, like I just put an order in and can we get, I need to make sure it gets in before Friday. Cause we're going here. Like the amount of people that are getting it as a tool for their trips, it's very, very clear to us. So, we just know how much it's being used all around the world. So it's just a matter of pushing that, getting our package, whatever we can do. Right. Now you mentioned to me as well about uh, Facebook ads being a big driver of your traffic and sales too. Talk to us a little bit about that. How are you using Facebook ads to help power your business? So Facebook ads, we've been trying to crack for months and I think we've finally gotten really good at it. Uh, a lot to learn, but it's un believable what you can do with Facebook ads. And at first I was pretty skeptical, but it's absolutely unbelievable. And at first we were just trying, I mean, the, the targeting was so aimless that like we didn't know how to target. And if you're, if you're completely new to Facebook ads, it's incredibly daunting going into that platform and trying to figure out what's the starting point. Mm-hmm. There's so much that you could do. There's so many ways that you can approach it. And we tried so many different things that I, I won't even mention because they're just us, you know, taking a shot in the dark and not really knowing what we were doing. It wasn't until there's a course, uh, a Facebook blueprint course, which is a pretty basic overview of all of the functionality of the platform. And I think kind of like, if you think of it almost, you know, if you equate it to like a, a musical instrument, like you have to understand the, the, the structure of it first. So in the guitar, you might need to learn chords with the Facebook platform. You need to learn the language, just like all like the way it works just at its core. And that helped at least frame a better start for us to figure out how to start toying with, with campaigns. Go familiarize yourself. Like the Facebook blueprint course is a great thing. It's free. Just go do it. Spend 
I spent a couple hours every day just digging through, just setting up, you know, fake ad sets and stuff like that. And what we, you know, come seeing as my background, I have a, a video production agency. Obviously, we were able to create. That's an advantage for us. This may be an unfair advantage, but we can create really good videos pretty easily. So, uh, but it's not hard to create a good video. But we created a video ad, and what we did at first was we decided to create four different segments, so to speak. One was our, our competitors. So the interests that we were selecting for our targeting would be people who are interested in, in performance, like activewear, performance clothing, stuff like that. That was one. The other was backpackers. We're targeting backpackers. So we picked four groups like that. And we just took our best stab at creating interests that align with what that person is. Like, what are backpackers interested in? And we created a whole list of interests. And we just targeted the United States because we just wanted to keep it targeted to one. There's enough people in the United States. We don't want to go international with it because we just want to, like, start with something a little smaller that's still huge. So we did our four ad sets and we broke each one up into three age groups. Is that right? Four. Yeah. So we had 12 ad sets and we put five bucks into each of them and we did the same exact ad and we just let it run for a couple weeks. And then after a couple weeks, and it was very, it's very hard to not go in and start changing things right away, but we're like, let's just do two weeks, see what data comes back and see if we can learn anything from that. And what we noticed from doing that was, there was a few of them were performing pretty well. And there's a few of them that were completely just absorbing and burning money. Now, each one, the ones that weren't working, we're losing five bucks a day. We were willing to lose that for the information, the data that would come back. But the ones that were looking good, we took that budget out of the ones that weren't working and added it to those. So now we cut them in half. We're still spending the same amount per day overall, but all of the money is in these ones that appear to be working. Fast forward another week or two weeks, whatever it was, did the same thing, narrowed it down to just a few, and sort of discovered these are kind of working. Then what we did is from those ad sets, we split up the ad and made four variations of that ad, but but just not the video itself. So the video is the same, but instead of it saying simple clothing, extraordinary performance is the headline, we switched it to something else. Or we took a huge piece of cop copy from the website that's like two paragraphs long, and we dumped that in. So it's this big text-heavy ad. And we switched one from learn more when you click to shop now when you click. So in those ad sets that were working, we had four versions of the same ad, and then we let those run for a week. And what we discovered was once we, it, it, it's crazy how it was just like tinkering, tinkering, tinkering until bam, this one ad is killing it. And that's the one the law I mentioned that has lots of copy, like two paragraphs of information because this video starts autoplaying for people. And the, I guess having all that extra information helps them understand a little bit more about what this product is. Those ads were killing it. We have some of those ads. Um, so we're, we're running, I think, I can't, not, not many. We're still like pretty new to this, but we're running maybe less than 10 different ad sets that we're targeting. And the one, the, the ones that are really performing. We're at a, a few hundred bucks a day now because they're performing like for every dollar we spend. I mean, some of them are at like $10 they're returning. Wow. So it's, so now we have, but here's the thing. This has been probably a couple months now and it's been working really well. I mean, we're growing at like 50% a month. But and it's, I think, largely because of Facebook ads. It's a huge part of it. Also, word of mouth. I think word of mouth is still probably the biggest. But Facebook ads is a huge driver. We've been running the same video ad the entire time. Now we can go in and we can say, okay, well, we can make a... I think I actually have an idea. I think we can create a much better video ad. Because ours is long. It's like a minute, 20 seconds. Who wants to watch it on Facebook? It's the most ADD platform on the planet. So <laughs> let's create... Can we do this for in a 30-second one and add that and compare it to the same ad set. So we have, there's so much more branching out we can do, but I'm so focused on these particular ad sets that we figured out that work that we could just hone in and not spread ourselves out. So right. 
we, it, you know what? It's amazing what a few months of paying attention daily can do. Because right now, I feel like we can unleash Facebook, and we are, and it's been amazing. Right. So just to kind of break that down real quick, the way that you did it was that you first tested the targeting, kept everything the same, just tested the targeting, find out which targeting, which targets, which uh, segments performed the best. And then you updated the copy, changed the copy up to see what worked. And now you're thinking about how can we change the, 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 the uh, video or in some cases for others, maybe changing up the photo itself. So that's kind of the process you've taken, which I think makes a lot of sense. You want to nail down your targeting first before you start tinkering with the copy and the messaging uh, that way. So you kind of make it a lot more, uh, I guess, actionable, a lot more consumable, and a lot more, a lot easier for someone out there that wants to take the same approach to, to go about it rather than just trying to change a bunch of things at once. Yeah, I think that we were lucky in that we did have a good ad, like a good, it's a good video for its purpose. But we we first, like I said, first spread out a little bit of spend for as many different targeting groups as possible. And then just found the ones that work. And then now we're just honing in on those, making little tweaks, spending more on them. But we're always monitoring daily to make sure that the return on ad spend is is good enough that when you factor in the cost, because you always got to think of profitability, it has to be profitable. And we know what our return on ad spend needs to be for us to maintain profitability. And once we get to a point where I'm like, this is not looking profitable anymore, it's on red alert. And if it's not profitable, just turn it off move on. Right. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Dan. Unboundmerino.com, U-N-B-O-U-N-D-M-E-R-I-N-O.com is the website. Uh, where do you want to see the business uh, be this time next year? Oh man, we're growing. I mean, we're growing really. F- I, I, we know where we want to be in a quarter. We know what we're, how many, like we have it planned out, but I, I think, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I think <laughs> we're going to, I think we're going to blow it up, man. That's my plan anyway. But it's been ten years in the making. I, I'm I'm doing really well for six the six months in this business, but it's been ten years to get here. Unboundmarino.com, check it out and uh, thank you. Maybe I'll give a a code for your listeners. And one more thing, you know, I, I I sometimes post on on the entrepreneur subreddit, and I get tons of emails of people asking questions. If you're just starting, I really do love to talk about entrepreneurship and. You know, uh, the grind I've had, my, I, my, my, my blood's on the streets from 10 years. And I love when people are entrepreneurial and just starting out. So I really, if people want to reach out to me, um, you can hit me. I'll, I'll check Twitter once in a while, but they can email me through the website. I, I love to talk to entrepreneurs and I'm happy to help and, and give extra time and answer questions wherever I can. But Dan Dembski on Reddit is a good way to find me. I'm checking Reddit like, you know, way more than I should. So hit me up. I'd love to chat with all of you. And, and once again, thanks for having me. And hopefully I, I gave some value here. I hope. Oh, you sure did. Thank you so much, Dan. Take care. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. Start with the, the, the stupidest simple thing that kind of looks like your product and then go from there. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.